Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. (laughs) Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! (laughs) Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mudship, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us, and happy 4th of July weekend. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies, and if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. New episodes of the Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. And hey, while you're on Apple Podcasts, wouldn't it be swell if you could write a quick review about the show? By doing that, you'll be helping other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a thank you, we'll give you a very special shout-out on on our next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show moving forward. It's all upside for you. Don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at MothershipPod. Or you can send an email to MothershipPod at USAToday.com. On to the main topic. Here's a clip. The annual purge will conclude in three, two, one. Thank you for your participation. We survived. All police and emergency services have been reinstated. All crime, including murder, is now illegal. Come on, let's get to work. One night only. Rest of the year is peaceful. That was a clip from The Forever Purge, the fifth and latest installment in the long-running Purge dystopian horror franchise. The new film takes the series to Texas and focuses on a Mexican couple who survived the annual Purge night, where all crime, including murder, is legal for 12 hours, but then find out that an underground movement has sprung up deciding that they have the right to keep killing after the Purge ends. The film stars Ana de la Rogera, Chino Huerta, Will Patton, and this week's special guest, Josh Lucas, who plays an affluent Texas rancher who very much gets involved in the action. If you're a film fan, you're probably very familiar with his work, whether in American Psycho, Beautiful Mind, Glory Road, Hulk, Ford vs. Ferrari, or most recently in She Dies Tomorrow. I've been seeing a lot of you because Ford vs. Ferrari is on HBO, and I just, whenever that, that, that movie comes on, I just put it on. So a lot of, I've been seeing a lot of you lately. 
I got to say that is one of my favorites of my whole whole career. Just the experience, everything about it. I think it's an extraordinary movie, first of all. But I also think the the you know, the kind of making of it was just so remarkable. Mangold is just man. Have you interviewed him? Yeah, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times. Yeah, but yeah, he's cool. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's just great. Yeah, I want to see his Indiana Jones too. After after seeing ever seeing Logan and and Fortress Ferrari, he's going to do great on Indiana Jones. Um, so how much you know going? I I just spoke to James, and you know he he is has this weird thing of being able to you know show what's really wrong with our country with these purge movies. Um, were you a fan of them before signing on to to Forever Purge? You know, were you were you a fan? I mean, did, was it even on your radar? They were on my radar, but I, it's not that I wasn't a fan. I frankly am a uh, bit sensitive when it comes to uh, horror films. Uh, I always have been. I'm, I guess, you know, really hardcore violence in movies um, has always been something. It's not that I, I must say, like, I just find it very powerful. Um, and so I, I, when I was presented the script, um, first of all, it wasn't what I was sent was not called purge. It was called borderline, um, on purpose. And it was, you know, sent to me as, 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 as a standalone project. And then when I was told, oh, this is actually, you know, the next iteration of the purge. And then I, I found out about the director and then I went back and I researched the purge films pretty intensively. And I, I guess I was struck by kind of what you're saying, which is how um, how intensely political they are, how clearly they were, you know, almost like these how do I put this, these cinematic warning signs. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I didn't realize at what level they actually had been pretty well respected. And, you know, obviously I'm a, you know, I worked with Ethan Hawke early in his career. I'm a fan of his. And I, I was interested to see that he had done the first one and that, you know, there was a kind of really interesting, um, I guess, artful take on what, you know, what was, what was being attempted, that's for sure. So from the beginning, this director and I spoke pretty extensively about what he was planning to do with it. He told me an expression that I've never heard before, but he said, I, I want to plant diamonds inside of a storm. And I, you know, I kind of believe that, that the, the concept of this movie, the purge, all of it, they are, terrifying obviously but they're also prophetic in a way that is yeah right. <laughs> concerning to say the least <laughs> you know as, as you know we as you know we shot this movie you know years ago um and way before the you know the the situation that obviously happened the insurrection the, the election covid all of it so that i guess as i've spoken to people about the purges everyone says the thing about them is that they they seem timely, but in oftentimes in hindsight, they even become more timely. And I think that this one in particular, even since we made it, it probably has become more concerningly palpable, palpable I think is the word, right? Well, I was telling James, I mean, it's, it's interesting because obviously, you know, he, he didn't know about COVID, but, you know, the vaccine, mass, any of this stuff. But it's interesting kind of like to see a bunch of people who just want to keep purging. You know, they feel like it's their, their civil rights now to purge. It's just like that is so much like us where, you know, 
they can't, they don't wear a mask in, into a store or, you know, they don't have to take the vaccine because they have the right to, to die or, or whatever. And it's just like, it is, it is obviously civil liberties taken to a, an extreme, but it's not that, that's that far off, you know? Sure. I bet any of these perjurers probably wouldn't wear a mask in the store either. Well, you know? except as perjurers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, look, that speech that the, the character who works, you know, in the ranch with me gives um, during the when he kills my father. Right. It's a pretty remarkable speech. If you think about it, I mean, it really goes down to I mean, America is such a conundrum. Right. And I've heard one of the reasons why all the things happened in the last year with COVID and everything is because America truly has this you know, this Western mentality of freedom and, and, you know, I, I am a man on my land. Right. And there's, and there's a, I, I don't know, there's a remarkable core like ideology that I think this, this country battles with its own identity about. And this movie definitely that's, that's the part depth of it. Right. I mean, when he even says like, Oh, you, you know, you took, you, you're going to say, this is your country. You took it from the American, you know, the American Indians, you know, like the whole, the, the, for, the, the, the rage can go back so far. <laughs> so I, I, I think he's hitting on a lot of levels. That's for sure. Well, your character Dylan goes on a lot of, he goes on a journey. I mean, kind of, he starts where, you know, he doesn't really like, you know, the, the Mexican cowboy who, 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 up, you know, shows him up, but it's almost like, you know, he's racist, but in a kind of a strange way, you know, it's like, uh, it's a more insidious racism because he, you know, he wants his people to be away from the other people which, you know, he probably doesn't think is racism, but it kind of is. And then, you know, he, he really learned, he really learns kind of over the course of the movie, you know, like how wrong he is. Look, I believe that's the main reason I did the movie. I, you know, I was presented from the very beginning that this was a very, I don't think this is the right term, but a very Latin forward film, meaning that, you know, they were hiring, uh, you know, obviously a, a Mexican director, um, primarily Mexican cast, and that 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 was going to be the way that the the movie was going to be formatted in in a sense, and that this character who I play, I do believe he represents so many elements of particularly white America, which is that they don't in any way see themselves as racist, and that there is a kind of blind. Um, it's it's like they've turned a blind eye to their to their own consciousness in a way, and that that I really believe that that's kind of the, the the case with this character and that what's remarkable is that he shifts. Right. And so, but I do believe he represents so much of, um, of America. He represents so many people I know who like, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm one of the things I always loved about living in New York city was that, or, or, or sorry, I come from the South. I come from Arkansas. And people would say, Oh, you know, New York city is not racist at all. And I would be like, you're crazy. New York city is one of the most, like bizarrely uh, segregated places I've ever been. Meaning like, you know, there's whole areas, whole streets where it's basically all, you know, one race and streets where it's another. And the difference I think find really interesting about the South is that the South is very, you know, the little old angry white woman who hates black people. Her best friend is her neighbor who's black. You know, there's something about that that's so uniquely American. And I think that that's the, the movie's, pumping on some of those ideas without a doubt 
Right. And so then there's so much kind of political about this film, but also, I mean, there's enough action stuff. It's a, it's a nice thriller too. a lot of, you know, it, it works on that level too. Um, obviously you've been in action movies, you've been in all kinds of movies, but I mean, what was, what was, did you like any, did you really like any of the action in, in this? Was there any kind of scenes that were really kind of like thrilling for you in terms of, you know, obviously going through a town with white supremacist militiamen all around and then, you know, kind of the final battle kind of closer to the border. Well, there's the obvious sequence, which is that single take sequence, which, you know, we talked about the children of men sequence almost from the beginning of, of the conversations about the movie and what the attempt was to do something really remarkable cinematically and have the way that the, the steady cams are coming you know, out of the truck through the through the alley into the huge sequence with the tanks and all of it. I mean, it was really how do I put this brutally um, difficult filmmaking, but so thrilling because of what they were attempting to do, or we were attempting to do. It was very straightforward. I mean, we rehearsed it for a huge period of time. So that kind of filmmaking, it really turns me on. It's not easy. It's not fun. It's a weird thing. It's almost like you're in, you're in something that feels really physically daunting. And yet that's sort of the joy of it. Um, and I, I, you know, I believe that Everardo and his cinematographer were straight up clear about that from the beginning. You know, there's no, I don't think there's a stunt person. I was, I, that there, there's a couple moments that someone doubled me, but not really, you know, it was all, it was all very, very tangible. Like, obviously these are the people and down to my favorite thing was my kind of relationship with that truck, you know, like, and, and that truck look comes from it is Bumblebee, right? I mean, it is, or, or, you know, Michael Bay got that truck for the purge because it's that damn truck that he uses in all, you know? And it was like, really from the beginning, they were like, you know, do you know? And, and weirdly enough, I, I, I happened to have a commercial driver's license for other reasons. So I was like, Ooh, can I do my own driving? And they're like, absolutely so that that was the to me like his big it's almost like his horse right it's like his mm -hmm. biggest relationship in the movie besides obviously his family is that is that truck you know that truck is i imagine a place that he spent so much time and um he you know somewhat lives in it when he's delivering horses and i, I don't know i just that all that stuff was fantastic to play with not easy but fantastic well it's been you know modern modern cowboy yeah they're gonna get in the truck i mean i feel like that's very modern cowboy is having like the biggest True. truck you can find yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well also a truck big enough that they can shoot you know <laughs> six actors inside of it with the with a cinema with a steady cam a huge camera on tracks and all the different things that they were doing i mean they had a spider cam set set up inside of the uh the actual cab so it was able to do these twists and turns. it was really really amazing filmmaking fun actually that part you played a lot of obviously texans you played southerners in in movies and you know you had done yellowstone also around you know around the time of doing this did you enjoy kind of like this little cowboy phase was that kind of fun for you yeah. I mean, I, I, I really, it's actually where I feel probably the most comfortable. It's funny. Sometimes I, I'll get cast as like, you know, kind of the, how do I put this? Like the suit white guy. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't wear a suit in real life ever. <laughs> I, do <everything, laughs> I do everything I can not to, but I did grow up wearing my grandfather's cowboy boots, you know, like, and, and I, they're, they're my favorite shoes on earth. And like, there's something about that, that I feel the most connected to as, 
you know, what my, my grandfather grew up on, a, you know, working a ranch and I, I've worked construction since I was a little kid with him. And like, you know, it's the place that I actually feel the most, like the, the clothing, all of it feels the best to me. I, I get a little sort of uh, frustrated sometimes having to play the, the straight laced guy with a tie on, you know, cause it's like, that's not me, but, um, but look, Dylan was a really interesting character because he, I, like you say, he's got these really dark corners and edges to him, but his soul, I think is a good soul is that, you know, is a soul of a man who's willing to change and really loves his family and loves his country, frankly, too. And I think all of those are elements that I believe the movie is trying to work with as well. You know, like some beautiful, I, I, I thought speeches, but Tenoch and, and Anna about, the reason why they've come to this country and their, their love for the country. And I, I don't know, that's where the movie I think gets into some interesting territory. For sure. You mentioned you, d- you don't always love horror films and like films with a lot of violence. Like when a friend wants to take, want to go to a horror movie or something like that, do you beg off or do you, do you go? I mean, is it, is it, you know, how, how much do you not like horror? I, you know what it is. I feel sometimes like, unless the, the cinema of it is really, provocative or that psychological. Um, and I've been lucky to do, you know, session nine, I think is a really interesting film uh, because we didn't really ever attempt to make a horror film. It was a really you know, deep attempt to make a sort of uh, psychological study in a way, right. Of, of, of those characters. And I think that from the beginning of this, that's what Everardo spoke to me about what he was wanting to do with this film in particular was really talk about politics and talk about America and talk about, you know, divisions and talk about race and talk about border. When I first read this script, it wasn't called the purge. In fact, they told me they didn't tell me it was a purge film. Mm -hmm. I didn't really, I didn't know that for quite a while into the movie of reading it. And then I was like, Oh wait. And it's because their, their, their goal was to make something very standalone and very, you know, a, a, a modern Western, if you will. Um, so I guess for me, I, the same reasons I would look for that in my choice from a career standpoint, I would look for that in the movie. I would, the movies I would, you know, go see or, or look to see, but I do, I will tell you, you know, I definitely am somebody who thinks, you know, the shining is a masterpiece that alien is an absolute masterpiece, you know, that those movies, but again, because they're so like, you know, to study alien and think about the, the hardcore working class element that that movie is telling of those, you know, those, those men and, and women and, and in that environment and, you know, basically a, a factory and like the things that I, 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 I saw that recent documentary. I don't know if you saw it about the making of alien, the art and making of it. All right. Mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing. Cause I, I really am. I, I am pulled to those kinds of horror movies. That's for sure. Well, and, and she dies tomorrow. I mean, I feel like that's, that was one of my favorite horror movies last year because it wasn't, you know, it was a horror movie, but it was, you know, it was a different kind of horror movie than you've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. And it happened to be that hit COVID perfectly too. But, you know, the whole idea, I mean, that, that's to me, look, the, the, this, the, what do they call it? The most erogenous zone of our body is our brain. Right. And I do think the exact same thing goes with horror. Right. So it's, if it's in your brain where, and I guess that's part of it for me, when you find that thing that really gets inside of you and makes you, you know, it, it turns your blood in, in a good way and put it that way. And, and there are many of those. There really are. There, there are some amazing ones. So you're working on long, slow exhale now. Is that what you're, is that, a, is it a TV show? It is. It's a, it's a really interesting show about a, um, 
a sex scandal inside of a women's basketball team, a national championship college basketball team, um, and a very, you know, very deep sort of exploration of that. It's the same team that did Big Little Lies. So it has that same kind of, you know, multi-layered thriller, uh, trying to, you know, basically detective type story, but inside of this really interesting culture that, um, that this showrunner who I like a lot called Pam Bessie is doing, who's exploring, you know, based on some of her own things that she's interested in her life. It's a really, really interesting show, I think. Oh, that's cool. And we, it's, are you almost done with that or you just started? Yeah, we're, we're, we're three quarters of the way through now at this point. Um, <laughs> and I tell you, I, you know, it's, I, I, you always have hopes for what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I, you know, I do think we're so in the golden age of television, rather obviously, um, because the writing, you know, these days with these shows and the, again, sort of the cinema of what they're doing. Um, my assumption is at least that the team behind it in terms of Spectrum and BET and the team that, that they're trying to do a little bit what House of Cards did for for Netflix, right. You know, they're, 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 these, these streamers are, are searching for and pouring so much into these movies or these shows because their hope is they pop something out and they, they're, they're, they're really, they're really investing. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of college sports, I want to ask you about one thing before I let let you go. Glory road, which is 15, 15 years old this year. Um, you had once mentioned that, that it was one of your favorite, your, your favorite film that you'd done. Is it still, and does it still hold up without, for you? Without a doubt, it is absolutely my favorite film I've ever done. And partly it's because, look, I love the, the you know, the uplifting, wonderful story that's there, but also inside of a story that really, again, goes back to the, you know, the struggles that this country has, the true, the true, it is a Disney film, you know? I mean, that's the other thing about it. I love movies that are wonderfully entertaining but i also love movies that have and that movie to me clicks on so many different cylinders but also i always relate the movies i do partly to the experience of making them and that movie was just so special i mean just to have don haskins the real guy with me to have pat riley be my technical advisor to have you know tim floyd there to have and look bruckheimer bruckheimer was just amazing to work with i happened to watch the other night the original top gun i showed it to my little boy what an astoundingly good movie, you know, visually it's like every single thing. And I, again, it made me want to just call Jerry and be like, dude, you're great. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and I, I can't tell you, I am definitely one of the people really looking forward to seeing that. <laughs> Was your son, is your son psyched to see Maverick? I mean, are you going to take him like opening night to that? Without a doubt. He was a little bit young. He was a little bit young for it, but yeah, I think he's aware now. You know what he's super into is F1. You know the TV series. Have you watched it at all? Mm-hmm. He's an F1 fanatic because of that show. So I think there was a, and I always said, you know, look, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, being a fighter pilot, right? So there's that connection that's starting to. So yeah, he, he he'll be there with me, definitely. Cool. Cool. Thanks so much, Josh, for taking time. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. Thank you for having me as well. Yeah. Okay, listeners, your turn. Are you catching the Forever Purge this weekend? Got any big Fourth of July plans, like purging on hot dogs, perhaps? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, but you can also tweet us individually. I'm at Brian Truitt. Brett Molina is at Brett Molina23. And Kelly Lawler is at KLAWLS, K-L-A-W-L-S. And don't forget, you can email us, too. We're at mothershippod at usatoday.com. But we're going to wrap things up here. 
Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of the mothership this week, Adam Fish. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to the mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, how about leaving us a rating or review? It helps other people find the podcast. But if Apple Podcasts isn't your jam, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next Friday, nerds out and have a happy fourth. <laughs>